What is crack-a-lackin', fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my certified fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes. We are here because All-Star Fan Voting has opened up to make our All-Star picks. We will get into the criteria we use to decide on them in one second. But first, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us. If you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. If you're on YouTube, hit that sub button, like, comment, Join our Discord. The link to that is in the YouTube and podcast descriptions. And also remember to follow us on all the socials at Hardwood Knox and on Twitter and TikTok and then at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram at Hardwood Knox on YouTube if you need to know that. If you're watching on YouTube, you don't need to know that. Uh, I think that's everything. So go. If you've done all those things, word of mouth recommendations, retweet our promo, shout us out on Twitter, anything you could do to help us continue to build the community. But shout out to all the allegiant loyal og listeners who continue to be with us every single episode we we heart you forever as well i believe that's it which means we get to the most important question of the podcast grant how the heck are you doing i'm doing great i uh watched some great nba basketball sporting games last night and uh i'm excited to talk about all stars um because voting opened uh, a couple days before this will go up so it seems seems like a good topic to to discuss um, i don't know about you but uh Something like this, where we have to really just pin down who we think we'll talk about the criteria a little more detail before we really get started. But like this really forces you to kind of just synopsize the season. And it's like one of those things that's not always the most fun to do, but it does give you kind of a baseline to go forward at the like unofficial one third mark. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. Um, it's a good exercise. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a few surprises or disagreements that uh, kind of get some conversation going. I'm in agreement with everything you said. It's a very overwhelming process though. And you have to sit down and then really do it. And I thought I'd be better prepared because of doing MVP ladders every other week. And I just wasn't, it was just like, wow, this is still really fucking hard. Like, okay, I have some names that I know are going to be in here, but sorting them through and then who qualifies for what I think what's most important though. And you would, you know, you had sent me this before we had started a few like a few days before we started. We are picking who we think should make the all-star team right now. And so it's not, you know, who we think is going to make it. We're not even scaling ahead and saying, well, we think player X is going to play a lot better or miss a lot of time from here on. So we did not select him. And so I think it's important for listeners, watchers, whoever to note that this is more of a our our own picks as a snapshot in time, because I think some of these names are might be in danger of falling out a little bit uh, in the weeks and slash months to come. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that, that brings up a, I wanted to ask you, so uh, we, I, we approached it similarly where it's, it's, it's very much like who we think ought to make it, not what, you know, how many votes will to use last year as an example, will Andrew Wiggins get and somehow be a star. It's like not predicting who will actually be there, but I wanted to know, because there are a couple really conspicuous cases where this matters. How much are you weighing, if at all, playing time to this point? Like, where's if you have a cutoff for, you know, if you didn't exceed X minutes or if it's less, you know, defined than that, do you have something like that informing your decision? And we'll just say it in the case of guys like Anthony Davis and Steph Curry, who are going to miss a month apiece, it seems like minimum. How did you weigh that, if at all, in making your your choices? So for right now, the injuries didn't impact it as much for the players who were recently injured. But for guys like Kawhi or Paul George, where the playing time is already deflated and where, you know, there's guys who have played a lot more minutes. Like we're talking at this stage of the season, if you've played 1100 minutes versus someone who's played 750, like that is a pretty big difference in my book. And I try not to view all-star like that. And I also don't team record is not, oh, this team is first in the East. So they need three all-star. I don't, I don't make picks like that. Um, and I also won't make picks, you know, the Grizzlies are so good, so they need to have two. I would love to fit Desmond Bain on my list, not to get ahead of ourselves with the snubs, but maybe if he hadn't missed, hasn't missed so much time like that, he would have been able to have a case over, a. again, we don't want, I don't want to get into the names, but the injuries are probably the toughest for me because part of me is like, and it's when, it's when we're talking awards too, doesn't it matter more about the impact than the availability um, Strops, shout out listener from Discord, commented on one of our YouTube channels saying the best ability is ability, not availability. And I agree to that to some extent, but when the margin for how good they've been really isn't that like looking at the guards specifically in the West, when the margin isn't that like, you know, when the margin is so thin between everyone to begin with, 
or if unless it's someone who's like demonstratively, and I think this has been the case with Joel Embiid, like you can kind of throw away the minutes played with him just because he's been so dominant that, yeah, you're going to pick him over. You're going to pick him over Brooke Lopez, who is like, I don't even know if Brooke Lopez locked more minutes. I know he's appeared in more games. Um, mm-hmm. So like, that's something that, that I struggle with is the definitely the the minutes played, but I don't the record stuff just doesn't bother me. And then the injuries, yeah, if it's impacted their playing time to this point, but if you stack up like Steph Curry's been number two on my MVP ballot for the past month, I know that's going to change, but I can't just discount everything he's done when we're recording this and he's only missed what do you mean two games to this point, like since the injury. So um that's where I landed. I don't know how you handled it. Well, I, I brought it up because that was the thing I struggled with most. It's like, I know that those like Davis and Curry, for example, are going to miss enough time to where like, you know, within two weeks, we'll have to be thinking about them, you know, like Paul George, for example, someone who's kind of on the cusp or even Embiid who's played enough, but you know, does by then does like 1300 minutes outweigh 680 or 750. I don't know. So I have some like kind of, I had some struggles with that. And, and honestly, for in a lot of cases, it sort of came down to positional depth. Like, yeah, you know, what do I, can I, is there a really good candidate that is say worse than Curry that has been worse than Curry, but by the, you know, but in a matter of days or weeks, we'll have played significantly more minutes than him versus this situation with Davis or, or Embiid or whoever else, you know, we're talking about. So um, I just want to, basically I asked you that so I can get out in front of this and say, there are a couple decisions I made that I feel really conflicted about and, just we may as well just get into it uh but yeah so that's one of the tricky balancing acts the other thing last thing i'd say before we start is if there's you know all things being equal i'm gonna lean a little towards you know statistically if things are close i'm gonna lean towards the guy that i think i know i believe to be just the better player and going and that's basically subjective and it depends a lot on like last year or the last three years or you know what what's he being asked to do situational there's all these like non-statistical criteria that i use to break a lot of ties or even close calls that you know that if you just really went straight numbers there are some guys that i think you you could argue like i shortchanged but we'll we'll see we'll see how you feel and how the listeners that feel about that and they're not meant to be vendettas and the mm-hmm. final thing that i'll say that's tough is even though they've broken it down into um, front court and back court, you still run into some issues where I didn't know what to do with Jalen Brown because everything from the defensive data to where he's actually playing in part because of the RW three injury to start the year points to him as a three. I think he will be eligible on the ballot to get in as a shooting guard. And I'm sure people have probably named him as a shooting guard to make things easier. I try to look at, it's not where a player starts. I look at the possession data where they've played the most. And I do look a lot at sort of defensive roles where I've really tried to figure out like, Hey, could I just make Luca a wing? That would have made the West so much easier, but I can't, mm-hmm. you can't do it. Yeah. And so I, I try to look at everything and that's what that impacts your ballot. Like we might have Jalen Brown in different spots, but I think, <clears throat> I think he will be eligible at the two. I just didn't feel right putting him into um, that slot. Yeah. I went the other way. I just tried to get the best players on there however i could with like a semi-logical justification for what position i have them at so hopefully that'll create so do you want to start uh east or west i'll let you i'll let you pick since i kind of threw this topic at you first let's do the east and i'm I'm thinking how do we want to do this do we want to break it down by backcourt and frontcourt so we'll go through backcourt yeah but let's do let's do backcourt starters frontcourt starters and then reserves for each and then the wild cards then we can talk about snubs too for each each conference I'm wondering, dude, should we be talking about it though? Like backcourt starter? Oh, because I guess there could be spoilers in the frontcourt starters if we get to backcourt reserves. All right, let's do it. So who who are your backcourt starters? So in the East, the the easiest one for me was Donovan Mitchell. Um, he's just you know the, thermonuclear AF, you might say. He, he has been he has been that, and for a really good Cavs team that has had ups and downs, but he's just the guy that is driving that team. Um, I just, I don't really know what the argument against him starting would be. Um, I assume you don't have one. The trickier one for me is the other backcourt starter in the East. And I went with Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I think there are a couple guys with good cases, uh, but it's just, you know, he leads the league in assists. He leads the league in potential assists. I think he's a huge factor in, in why the Pacers have been surprisingly, you know, not one of the worst teams in the league. We play with a bunch of, you know, great pace the ball moves. And I think he's just kind of integral to that. He's not a great, you know, 
shutdown defender, but he's in the passing lanes. He does impact the defense, which I think distinguishes him from a couple guys that maybe people will be surprised. He didn't even make our all-star teams, let alone start in the backcourt for the East. So uh, those are my two in the in the East. I, I feel really good again about Mitchell, but Halliburton, I think uh, there's there are good arguments that we could have gone a different direction. So you didn't need to because I went the same direction. And I don't, Donovan Mitchell, I don't know what, he is the lock. There's probably a debate to be had in the second spot. And I think if you view Jalen Brown as a guard and mm-hmm. want to put him here, I think that's probably the name that would get the most love. Um, but Tyrese Halliburton is averaging over 19 points, 10 assists, 1.5 steals, shooting better than 37% on his threes. There are two players in NBA history who've done that for an entire season. Magic Johnson and Chris Paul. Yeah. That's like, that's legit. Maybe it's a matter of, okay, well, if you prefer Jalen Brown here, okay, fine. Tyrese Halliburton has been legit. Hashtag Wally Serbiak's an idiot. And I just... I try not to get mad about, <clears throat> I mentioned this to you, I try not to get mad about what local team broadcasts say. I find it more comical than, than anything. But like when in there, when it's an unhinged like that and you're using, you know, I had, we had people in our Instagram comments were pointing out, well, that was a bad shot by Tyrese Halliburton. One, like step back contested threes have been something that Tyrese Halliburton can hit. Yeah. Two, even if you don't like the shot, imagine using bad shot selection to prop up Julius fucking Randall in the process. That's my mini rant here is I don't know if it's because he plays for the Pacers or because like they're even when they were, you know, kind of on fire, like they faded into the backdrop. He has been an all-star starter to me. Like there's, again, I will listen to cases for other people, but if you don't even think he's an all-star based off what he's done this season, um, I would question what your, what your all-star roster looks like. Yeah, that's tough. And I think it points to the bigger issue of, of, you know, there are media votes that affect this and like granted, all-star births don't matter as much usually to like say contract incentives or super max criteria or whatever as all NBA does, but you know, it's not nothing. And if you have, so I think, I think it's just kind of, we need to get to the point where if you're employed by the team or our team adjacent, you just, you can't be a media voter for all-star. It just, it's not everybody that's that way, but if you kind of go around the league and you spend enough time on league pass, it's not just the studio hosts, which Serbiak was in that case, but Every, you know, the vast majority of home commentators are, you know, they're, they're catering to a home audience. Their bias has come through, even if they don't start that way. I think just constantly speaking in a favorable light towards your team is just going to color your opinions and you're going to see these. It's just, it's, 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 it seems like an easy fix to just not have media that are employed by a team vote for all-star just because you, this is, I don't know if Zerbiak has a vote. I assume he does. He's not the problem. He's just there's lots of guys that that have opinions like that, that I think it's just if you're trying to make this a meritocracy at all, which maybe the all star game isn't. Maybe it's like it's an exhibition. It's supposed to be fun, whatever. It's got to come out of contract incentives then, though. And like we sure. need to stop citing it as like important discourse. No, yeah. <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, is what I would say. And it, but if you're going to tie it to contract incentives, you need to bounce. I don't, I don't know if Serbiak has a vote either, but you need to bounce that type of bias from it. Yeah. And it, again, it's not just him. That was just kind of the egregious example most I mean, recently. He um, called Tyrese Halliburton a wannabe all-star. Yeah, said he was twice. in his second year when he's in his third. Yeah. And then was saying that someone like Julius Randle deserves to make it over him. They don't even play in like the same all-star voting field. And I just can't. Julius Randle's like the king of shitty crunch time shot selection. And so like right. I just can't imagine using that as the, the springboard. So I get you're catering to an audience, but that was just every so often there are just these even when you're like trying to account for what you're expecting, it's inflammatory and stupid. And that was one of those instances where it was inflammatory and stupid. Yeah. Not a great look. Um, who do you have starting in the East front court? I'm assuming we're going to have the same three here. I have Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, I do too. Uh, obviously Embiid is the, is the surprising exclusion there. We can, I mean, we may as well talk about him now because he's obviously on both of our ballots, but spoilers. <laughs> Sorry to jump ahead. I mean, was this difficult for you? I, I didn't really have much trouble there. No, I don't, I don't like Kevin Rant leads the league in minutes and it's just, I've kind of ignored the nets whenever I'm talking about important discussions is like, Oh, they're going to eventually implode. And like, I've had KD like sort of deflated on my MVP ladder because at one point the Nets weren't good. And I'm like, well, I mean, you tried to leave this team. Do I factor in you, you contributing to submarining this like fucking shit show. And now it's just like, Katie's been too good there. 
Uh, Giannis has been dumb. The Bucks are just quietly the best team in the league again. Like I feel like we should be talking about that yeah. a little bit. Um, he's been he's had some issues at the charity stripe on some of his jumpers. Those have had peaks and valleys, but he's just remained super dominant, especially on the defensive end. And then Tatum, we've seen some pullback lately. It feels like, and his three balls not falling at the same click, especially uh, uh, same clip, especially off the dribble. But gets the line more, better driver than he was the the vision like when he is like we've seen an assist pullback too, but like this is someone who can really, unless he's playing the Warriors can control a game as just the primary offensive focal point. And so I don't even know, I guess Embiid would be the only other name you would consider here, but I know we're not supposed to factor in sample size, but when you start to factor in like at that point, it's he's played 750 minutes. And I think all these, all three of these guys are over a thousand. And so I think that gets pretty tough to put him there. I think too, you know, team success isn't a huge driver for me, but you know, the fact that to, to my mind, certainly the Bucks and Celtics have met or exceeded expectations more effectively than Embiid Sixers have. That's not all his fault, but you know, even, even the nets, like if you factor in sort of like, how did you think they were going to do in, you know, September based on just everything that was going on and there they are, you know, <laughs> surprisingly, uh, looking like a top four seed in the East and, and the Sixers, I think probably injuries have had, you know, a role to play in it, but have been a little more disappointing. So, you know, it's not the, it's not the defining, you know, piece of that argument. I, it's the playing time to just full disclosure for me. Although I was wrong. Giannis is about 820 minutes versus Embiid at 750. So that gap yeah. is not that wide. I just think, I mean, Giannis has been the more valuable player to me this season. So yeah, I I mean, I don't feel like we need to. Yeah, that's I mean, I watched I watched all of Bucks Pelicans last night and Giannis was just it's you get these little reminders every so often, not just like you said, how the Bucks look like the best team in the league again. Uh, that guy, he's just there's never going to be a game ever where someone is trying harder than him. And like when you marry that with just his like physical abilities, it's just the floor for that team is so high just because even if he's, you know, six for 17 and can't make a free throw or whatever. He's still just going to be the best player on the floor from an effort perspective by like a mile all the time. I just, and he might actually just end up even going six for 17, still be the best player on the floor because of yeah. the, just the amount of attention he commands and then the defensive damage he's able to inflict. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw to you again. Why not? So this is where it gets much more difficult. We, we already mentioned Embiid. Who do you have uh, as your other two East front court reserves? Um, front court reserve. So I have Jalen Brown, Pascal Siakam. And then as we mentioned already, Joel Embiid, like I said, I was going to put, I put Jalen Brown in the front court. You put him in the back court, whatever. He's been spectacular this season, basically at 26 points per game. Um, really good efficiency inside the arc. His assists have been pulled up. They're still not like these super complicated passes, but he's been great. Siakam is might be an all NBA player, even though I have him as a reserve in that like we start to extrapolate how many games does he play, but the Raptors have sucked. That's not really his fault. Um, he's still during this stretch where they're two and nine as we're recording this, like he's averaging over 25 points per game, the lifeblood of their offense. He's hit, I think he's shooting like 35.7% from three during that stretch. I guess you could look at his playing time and be concerned that this would be like a little bit ambitious because I think he had an adductor injury. Was it? But he's still over. He's played more minutes than Embiid. And so, like, if we're comfortable putting Embiid here in the Raptors, like, if you want to get into the team success equation, they've still outscored opponents by 61 points when Siakam's on the court this season. And so, he is the lone player. And I don't know how much this is a factor into, but like, he right now is the lone player separating them from complete irrelevance. And I think there's value in that, but he's also just been incredible. Yeah, I, I, so I have two different guys, but both of the guys you mentioned are also elsewhere on my ballot. Um, so the two I went with, and again, this I want to preface this was this is where it got difficult. I have Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, and one that feels weird to have two Heat players when the Heat, I think, have we would all agree have been, you know, not, you know, have not played at a level that meets expectations, but. I think, and I'll make this argument for some other situations where I have two all-stars from a team you would not expect. Uh, I don't feel like anyone would argue that those two are the problem with, for the heat. It's a depth issue. It's it's, there's just not enough shot creation. There's it's, you know, a lot of things have kind of come to a head, but if you just kind of compare some of the candidates like Siakam, I agree. I think he may suffer from what you said is the Raptors have just been so they look so bad lately um, and have been such a disappointment in so many predictable ways that you want to like impute some of that to him, but it's just, it's just not the case. Siakam could absolutely start 
But Butler, I think it's been kind of overlooked and the playing time is an issue for him. I mean, he's played 20 games. Siakam is at 21. Adebayo's at 28. Some other candidates that could have been here are, you know, closer to 30 games. But Butler, if you just, you know, box plus minus is the best of sort of anyone we've mentioned in this, you know, better than Siakam. His value over replacements higher. You know, we're just going into some of the the tie-breaking, like, catch-all stuff. So, and then when you watch Butler play, he's still kind of just the same guy where he's, you know, high usage. He's not really making threes, but 62% true shooting. That's, you know, by far and away the best of any of the players we've mentioned here other than Embiid that are, you know, potentials for front court reserves. And then Adebayo, you know, he is still so valuable to, to the heat. And maybe it's a problem that he is where he is in the pecking order, but he's probably the best perimeter defender among bigs. I mean, I watched him defend Halliburton, you know, almost exclusively, what was it a week or so ago? And it was the night Halliburton was over nine and just couldn't get anything against out on the perimeter. He's not a shot blocker. The heat, need someone to do that but you know we've seen autobio be super valuable in deep playoff runs because of his defense so and when you marry that with what i mean what's he averaging i'm talking about him like he like i need to justify this but he's at 20.7 points 9.8 boards 3.3 assists 52.8 percent from the field uh making 84 percent of his free throws like that's an all-star reserve i think it's just i balked a little bit at we're really gonna have two heat guys here when you know there are, we're going to exclude some guys from teams that have similar records that, you know, have similar like fantasy or box score level production. But, you know, I, do, I guess since we're kind of, I'm messing this all up, do either or both of Butler and Adebayo feature on your ballot anyplace else? They will. And one of them would have gotten a nod here if I put Jalen Brown in the guard spot, yeah. which is if I, if I had my druthers and wasn't being such a stickler here, I'd probably do that just because I'm not married to like one of my, backcourt picks so I, I probably would have went with out bio maybe just because he's played so much more but there's something to me about being like the central focus of your offense which is why i appreciate what siakam's done so yeah. much this year uh but like it, it's sort of splitting hairs because you look at him and jimmy butler play basically the same amount of playing time and so i get where you're coming from with butler butler's even hit a higher clip of like the the modest number of threes that he takes this regular season and just the pressure uh, that he's able to put on defenses and get them in rotation and have them overreact and the passes he's able to make out of them. I totally, I, I totally understand that one, but these two will appear elsewhere on the ballot because they, they got both my wild card spots. And okay. so I don't know, like is wild card, like more insulting than making flat out reserves. Like if you weren't going to be a starter, I don't really know that it matters. So they both are on my, my all-star ballot. Yeah. That that's how I view it. Like wild card feels like, you know, it's the last consideration you make. It's where you squeeze guys onto the roster, but it's really not that different from reserves. And it's got more to do with just positional depth again than, than anything else for me. Um, Who do you have as your East backcourt reserves? So I have, that's where I have Brown. Um, and I think I'm not sure what I would do if I had to, if I had to make him a front court player, I think I'd probably bump, probably bump Adebayo down to wild card or just off altogether. Um, but Brown wasn't a difficult pick. I mean, he was even like, since I called him a guard, I think you could make a decent case that he might be the guy that should push Halliburton for a starting spot. But I mean, second best player on, you know, what was the best team in the league for a while may wind up that way. Um, it just, you know, he's, he's making tons of two point jumpers, which I think if you're looking for like a point to be skeptical about, that's probably where you'd go, but he's still just the 25 a night guy, good enough defender has improved off the dribble, gets to the back. It's just, you know, he we know what Jalen Brown is at this point. And even if his two-point jumper shooting regresses a little bit, uh, he's still going to be worthy of this spot. Um, so that's my one. The other is Drew Holiday. Um, I, I think probably that you could make a decent statistical argument against him just because nothing really leaps off, you know, 45% from the field, 36% from three, you know, 19 points a game that's anything, you know, lower than 20, you kind of feel like you need to make a, some kind of excuse for, but I just say like, he's again, arguably one of the best defensive guards in the league. Um, he's been the bucks no worse than their third best player. He's probably right there with Brooke Lopez. I think he probably, you know, if you're asking me who I'd rather have just in a vacuum, I think he matters more to me than, than Lopez does just under eight assists, five boards, gets a bunch of steals, just, 
he, he is an all-star to me. And, and the fact that, again, we've seen him be a vital piece of a championship team kind of breaks any ties or, or you know, knocks down anybody else that might have better cosmetic numbers. Yeah, I mean, look, he's been so important to them as a playmaker while Chris Middleton's missed all that time. And even just like his regular season perimeter game is there's there again, there are going to be like these stretches where he sort of kind of implodes um, and then he can have these wonky finishes. But the like the off the dribble Drew Holiday jumper in the regular season is a weapon. And so I don't need him to have up above the 20 points per game threshold, especially when you look at the defensive workload that he's carrying, uh, you know, uh, in tandem with all of that. And so he made... He made my uh, East backcourt reserves list. I had my final spot down because I had uh, Jalen Brown as frontcourt, if everyone remembers. I, it came down between Jalen Brunson and DeMar DeRozan for me, and I didn't know what to do. I ended up leaning towards DeMar DeRozan because it feels like he's playing more of a heliocentric role, but I also don't know if that actually matters because part of what's so appealing about Jalen Brunson is the scalability here, and uh, DeMar DeRozan is shooting better on twos, and he takes, you know, the, he's doing well for mid range. Again, he still gets to the foul line a ton. And he's like, he is the driving force, like as a playmaker for Chicago's offense. That's not necessarily a compliment at this point. Um, neither of them are adding like a ton of value defensively. Although Jalen Brunson definitely probably looks better uh, on that end of the floor than, than DeRozan by like a pretty wide margin at this point. So I could see this spot changing for me, but it's hard for me to ignore just like, Oh, 26 points, 52% shooting from beyond the arc. And he is still per unpredictable uh, leads the league in clutch win probability added. And so like, that's still someone who is able to get you buckets in these really tough situations. Even when look, the bulls have not been winning. They suck. They feel hopeless. The Knicks are on a winning streak. So I don't feel great about putting uh, Jalen Brunson in the snubs department, but I have, I have DeMar DeRozan as of right now. Yeah. The DeRozan was probably my toughest cut and I might've just looked too, uh, too hard at just the bulls being incredibly, you know, underwhelming. Yeah. yeah. So um, I guess, I, I guess I may as well just go into my reserves. Brunson is one and Siakam we've already discussed is the other. And really, I mean, Brunson over DeRozan, I, I mean, I guess, you know, their roles are sort of similar in that they're, they're so vital to like their offenses really getting anything done. Um, you know, if you go down, I'm trying to look at, you know, to break ties, trying to look at like RPM or, or Raptor or things like that. DeRozan's 30th in Raptor wins above replacement. And as I'm looking, I don't see Brunson for a while. Let me see where he's at. Brunson's 22nd. So there, I'm vindicated. Brunson is way better than DeRozan, and we can end the discussion <laughs> right I mean, there. The, the advanced metrics love Jalen Brunson more than they do DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, it's it's tough because you look at, you know, DeRozan's on, I'm pretty sure he's right at 60% true shooting, and he's right under, yeah, 60 on the nose, 29% usage. Brunson is 57.9% true shooting, slightly lower usage, 26.1. Brunson actually turns it over more, way higher assist rate, uh, does grade out better marginally defensively, although it is surprising to see that DeRozan, just by win shares and defensive box plus minus, like neither's been, you know, great shakes, but um, it's Brunson narrowly for me and team success and role and like just, you know, what's the word even, how integral Brunson is. I think because if you take Brunson off off the Knicks, like we're just sort of back to where we were, where the biggest problem is like who's making plays, who's, you know, finding these cracks. He's, in a he's given them like a, a crunch time compass. And that's that's yeah. huge for them. And DeRozan, you know, last year was at a million clutch shots and is great. Like, again, this isn't like an indictment of DeRozan. I just feel like Brunson for me, for me has had a you know marginally better season. What? Where did Kyrie Irving factor into this discussion for you? Did you just write him off like I did because he sucks? Like, <laughs> I did initially, uh, but then I, you know, as I was having such a hard time figuring out, like, just the Brunson DeRozan discussion, then you really expand it and think, like, well, how how much isn't Kyrie at least worthy of that? On stats, he probably is. He's right yeah. at sixty percent true shooting again, great shot creator, all you know, all the Kyrie stuff. But if you know if like actually being a positive factor on your team matters, he really hurt the team for a long stretch of the year. And is the main reason that we have all these reservations about the Nets sustainability and, you know, how explosive they are and like all the wrong ways. So I, I did, I did consider him. Um, 
when it seemed pretty clear that the East wild cards were other than Siakam going to, there's some, you know, there are possibilities to get a handful of names in there. Um, but not seriously. I, I assume you, you, you wasn't a factor for you. No, the numbers make it tough. And it's just like, Oh, he's played almost as much as, uh, or as drew holiday at this point, I think it may, maybe even if not more, I haven't updated the minutes. Yeah. He's played more than drew holiday. I just, that stuff matters to me. And it's yeah. like, I, you know, I think that, he seems like he either maybe learned from what happened or gets it now. I, I think that's even generous. I wouldn't even go as far as saying that, but he hasn't done anything to fuck with the nets since then. And so that's a plus, but like that, the, the baseline has to be higher. And when you're talking about at this level, I think every factor matters. And if you can, if, if you're even at risk of being a detriment for your team because of what you say, because of your beliefs of what you do off the court, that matters. And it's just like, do you know, this isn't, he missed time with COVID, although he probably, yeah would have been out and about anyway, but my, like he, this was his own doing. And so I don't, I, I don't even know how to weight that. And this wasn't an injury. This was a choice. And so I, I think that, that, you know, I just, I can't consider him for, for this. I can't like, maybe if we're closer to January and like now the sample size have grown so much and the nets are still winning, they're not fattening up on an easy schedule. He's been really good when he's on the floor, mm-hmm. but I'm going to lean toward players that I trust are going to be on the floor. Yeah, it's not. It's just not the same. It, I think it's more fair to compare the reasons for his absence or unavailability to, like, someone that's just like taking really terrible shots on purpose or something. Not that he's doing that, but like, there's a willfulness and there's like an an agency to the yeah. to him being out that's different than he pulled a hamstring or whatever. You know, it, it, it's just it, it it's <laughs> all stars. I feel like at least part of the criteria is you know, you're some level of like unequivocal positive for your team. And that just can't really be said for, for him. Um, and I, I think most, maybe not most, I think a lot of people will just disagree because they view yeah. it needs to be just about basketball or you even said all-stars in exhibition. How do you not want Kyrie in the exhibition? And regardless of what the spirit of the game is, if we're treating these selections, like it matters, like it's a privilege, like it's an honor, he just doesn't deserve it. I don't like sure. I, I, That's not, that's not spicy. Who's your toughest snub in the East. I got a lot. Uh, so my, I'll list the snubs since you have so many, I'll list the snubs that I wrote down. Jalen Brunson ended up being the toughest snub. I had Brooke Lopez, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley was in there for me too. Trey young. And then I did, I did write down Kyrie and, um, but you, I'm, I'm interested to see who else was on your, the toughest one for me was probably Brunson, the DeMar DeRozan versus Brunson debate. Uh, I won't say kept me up at night, but it's something I thought about before I went to bed prior to recording this. Yeah. That's the dedication that I love to hear. Uh, DeRozan for sure. Uh, Porzingis, uh, Porzingis, I actually had yeah. on there, you know, he, he was with DeRozan kind of like, man, am I really going to leave him off and put Brunson on? But the more I looked at it, the more the record mattered, the more the larger body of work, uh, you know, kind of mattered. Cause Porzingis, I think most would agree is playing about as well as he's ever played this year. Um, and it's not, it hasn't really been in service of a very good team. Uh, maybe, you know, honestly, maybe it's not fair because if Brad Bill had been healthy all season, maybe the wizards are closer to 500 and maybe we're, it's really like just a coin flip. Um, I mentioned DeRozan, Brooke Lopez was tough. And it's partly because I, he went off for 30 last night and just was blocking everything and getting Zion like two and three times in a row on layup attempts. And you really, the game last night against the Pelicans, I guess I should just say Monday night, really was about as good a distillation of what he does for the bucks as you're ever going to see just spacing the floor, hitting threes, dominating interior, the interior on defense, just couldn't quite get there. Um, even though I'm sure he's up over 40%, I think from deep, I think he went in last on Monday at 39 point something. Um, Irving, I considered Mobley and Allen. I mean, Trey young and DeJounte Murray, the Hawks are over 500 as we're recording this Murray though. I, I just, hasn't been as good as last year as usage is down as the sister way down. Um, and young is what is he at 30% from three 28% when I was putting this together. DeJounte Murray's out shooting him from three. DeJounte Murray's at 35 plus percent. It's rough. Uh, it's rough. And then again, how much I'm not going to lie. The, the, the weird Nate McMillan back and forth from a couple of weeks ago. And then the whispers coming out, I think from Sam Amick that, like if you pulled the Hawks and it was a, he goes or, or, or the other guy goes, they would side with McMillan. Like that, that's significant to me. I, maybe it shouldn't be Harden hadn't played enough. Darius Garland just hasn't been quite as good as last year when he was an all-star. 
Um, thought about yeah, Ananobi. His road splits have been wild. Yeah. Harris gone home versus just wild. The guy can't stop getting hit in the face. You know, he started the year with that eye laceration. He got cracked last night. Uh, just he's going to, I think he might need to get fitted for a mask, but um, yeah, that the two biggest are DeRozan and Porzingis for me. Um, and, and you know, I, I would not, I would not begrudge anybody for putting either of them on over Brunson or, you know, like Adebayo, even Butler. I, I'd be fine with that. Wow. I was so the Adebayo Butler felt like, even though they were wild cards, me had to be on there. I'd be more, if you were fungible with the, the Brunson DeRozan spot for us is the one that I feel like where you can get creative and, Oh, if I shoehorn Jalen Brown into a guard spot, bounce them. And then I could fit someone else on in the front court. Yeah. The, you know what the thing is like, we got Halliburton as a starter. I wouldn't shock me if he just didn't make it. Just because, like, not, not talking about make it. not talking about deserving, but just talking about what the votes are going to be. Wow, I mean, as a starter, he's not going to make it as a starter. We know no. that. That's, yeah. but I, I would assume that he would make it. I hope he does. I, he's, he's one of my favorite players to watch in the league. So that's the East for us. You want? Let's jump to the West. Uh, who are your backcourt West starters? This, <laughs> just go right in. This is going to be really hard. My backcourt West starters, I didn't think were hard. I thought they were locks, as in Luka Doncic and Steph Curry right now. I don't look if you want to try and project forward, but as of right this moment, I have Steph Curry as a starter. He's been one of the two most valuable players in the league for me to date. Uh, and his three point volume and efficiency is just absurd. You look at how much he's able to impact the Warriors' offense just in terms of uplifting other players' shot opportunities, even when he isn't necessarily directly assisting them. I just watch all I can say is just watch the Warriors and like slow down a half court set where Steph Curry doesn't touch the ball and then go watch one where he's not even on the floor and it's just night and day. So this was easy for me. If we were getting in, well, Steph's injured. How long, how much time is he going to miss? That's not as of right this moment, it's not a factor. And so this is who I would pick right now. And this was really easy, even though there's a, the depth in the backcourt of the West is absurd. So I don't mean to sort of dismiss other candidates here and again if we were doing this in three more weeks or something it might be different but i i thought this was easy in the moment so it was hard for me just because i didn't know what to do with the, the two factors that you the, the main thing is the depth of the west backcourt there's like there's what maybe five guys that you would consider even up against like say donovan mitchell if if they were in the other conference as as like a lock starter maybe six um and I just didn't know what to do with the injury. There's so many deserving guys. I did go with Curry, but it was hard because we'll get to all the other candidates. There's so many guys with great cases that are just starting caliber all-stars based on what they've done so far. And the the potential missed time is just a, such a, it, it gave me pause, but all the numbers you mentioned, like the, the on-off splits are just ridiculous. Like Steph's plus 16.3 net. He's third in Raptor, second in estimated, estimated plus minus, first in offensive box plus minus. All the aesthetic stuff you mentioned where the offense is a total slog if he's not out there and or Jordan Poole's not having a career night against the Raptors. That looks pretty good, but that's been once this year. So that and then Luca, like, is there I don't know what you even really say. Like he just, you know, had a record setting number of 30 point games to start the year. Uh, we haven't seen for like 60 years. You have to invoke Chamberlain to, you know, anytime you're invoking Wilt stuff, it's just as a comparison. His efficiency has climbed from like, Oh, well the three wasn't falling. And now it's just, it's climbed. He's been, the Mavericks can be unwatchable at points, but Luca has yeah. been just absolutely fantastic. Well, and to that point, like the unwatchability is tied to his ridiculous usage, which he led the league in the last two years. And it's up over those levels this year, but he's more efficient. So he like as so Killhaus and Discord have pointed out and watched the game for obvious reasons because Luca wasn't playing the Mavericks without Luca basically used Kemba Walker in that role. And so that's more of an indictment now to me. And that was the question we've had is I'm not going to go off this one game sample and say, oh, it's all the Mavs fault but it's the Mavs have not put him in a position to play differently. And this never seemed like an issue of he is insisting that he has to play this way. And they've tried to use him in different other modes. They have not been built to do so. And they don't seem inclined to even test out like different other operations. And so I think that vindicates him to some extent it's one game, but I'm just saying that framing vindicates any concerns you have about, is he part of the problem in Dallas? It's definitely a good data point because we really haven't had one like that. Cause to me, that's kind of the biggest absolute macroist of macro questions is who, who is driving this for the Mavericks? Like who is deciding this is how we're going to play. Um, 
because it's hard to argue. I mean, it, it works. They're all, the Mavs offense is good, and Luca in in this role is why. But is it that Dallas just doesn't trust other people? Like that that the coaches they've had because they've gone through a couple aren't inventive enough to just sort of play a more movement egalitarian style. It's it's tough, and and the fact that they did it without Luca, that's compelling, and, and it it does vindicate him a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's just like. <laughs> we're we're off. We have to go tangents because there's no possible argument that he shouldn't start the all-star game. He is the lock. If you want to start getting into Steph's availability and what's it's going to be. Okay, fine. But yeah. Luke is here. Yeah. There's no zero, zero question. Um, I guess we could, yeah, let's just do, let's do front court, uh, front court starters before we get to the zillion other guards that. Who did you have there? Um, I have Jokic, another lock, um, really close to the level of, of Luca. Um, Again, you have to do a bunch of Wilt comparisons. The funny stat to me was, you know, player efficiency rating, say what you want about it. It kind of favors big guys sometimes and guys who get defensive rebounds. And it's kind of one of the dinosaurs of catch-alls. But so, you know, <laughs> he's a uh, hair's breadth away from matching the all-time single season high he set last year. And he's kind of like deferring more. And so he's he's just not piling up a bunch of, you know, points and everything. But He's also shooting 62% from the field, nine assists per game. Just like, I don't know why I'm continuing to justify. This is a Lucas situation where he's just the best offensive big guy in terms of the total package maybe we've ever seen. Um, he's great. He had 40, 27, and 10 the night before. I yeah, his scoring playing. has like ticked up too recently because he was definitely trying to defer more. And I mean, Michael Porter Jr. being absent definitely hurts that. I mean, look, you cite the archaic PER, which I'm shocked that you did, but like he's second in value over a placement player. He's first an estimated plus minus like he's been, he's been dominant. So yeah, he was, he was the easiest front court selection in the Western conference for me. And the, the best of those is, is Raptor Raptor has always loved him more than because it always loves his defense for some reason. I don't know what goes in that makes that the case, but you know, he, he has in terms of, of wins above replacement judged by Raptor. He's basically two ahead of the second place player, which is Doncic, who we just, went on about being the biggest lock on planet earth. So it's just like, well, however you want to get there. The other two, uh, Zion is, is a, one I felt pretty comfortable about. Um, he's one of two guys averaging 25 points with a 60% true shooting percentage. Um, the way that the Pelicans have, you know, just put the ball in his hands and let him facilitate, uh, let him be just make stuff happen downhill. Um, he leads the league in paint points per game, just, the Pelicans have the second best point differential in the conference. You know, they, 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 this is without like 15, no, they've only gotten 15 games from Brandon Ingram. So uh, defensively, he's trying harder. He's paying more attention. First two plays of the game against the Bucks on Monday, he had like alert steals that, you know, were him paying attention and anticipating and just going and getting the ball. I can't remember a, a stretch last year where there were two possessions in a row that that happened. Um, so no problem there. The other one's Anthony Davis, kind of the same logic as Curry. He's like a top five, top six guy. And most of the catch-alls he's fourth and Raptor, um, crazy box plus minus. He was really the only reason the Lakers had a good stretch in, in, of this season. Um, would have been a defensive player of the year candidate may still be if he gets back on the yeah. you know, good side of that month, uh, timeline. So I, I have no problem if, if Davis doesn't make it for people as a starter, just because of the playing time stuff and the Lakers suck, but that had nothing to do with him. So th those are my start. Do you, do you have the same two others or do you think of some? Yeah. Else? And they were, they were, they were easy for me yeah. to go there. If you're and not Davis considering is, the playing time thing. Davis is like, Davis should be ahead of Williamson probably. Uh, yeah. I mean, sure. At this moment, but like Zion has just been incredible and I can't, I can't get over every time I shouldn't still take me back, but like someone with his build, having his just like nimble feet and ball handling and the ability to change it just doesn't make sense. He's like, I tweeted the other night that he is. Oh my fucking God personified. Like he's OMFG incarnate. Basically yeah. Davis was a monster. And you mentioned the defensive player of the year. He wasn't really getting a lot of love in that. He was everywhere during that stretch. It's so like, if you were going to gravitate towards Brooke Lopez or Bam Adebayo or, or OG, um, like I, I totally get it, but like he was, he was in, he was going to be in that conversation. Like he was at that rate. And I didn't consider like these were the three. I think if you were going to say, well, you have to remove Davis off, that becomes an interesting conversation. And so yeah. if we're throwing, if you have the availability concerns that you want to project forward, it still just feels like 
uh, Zion and and Jokic are just easy locks for the starting slots here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what about West uh, backcourt reserves? Let's just jump to there. So I had uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and Devin Booker as my two reserves. Shea comes awfully close to having a starter's case, and I think he will, depending on how much time Steph Curry misses. Will the voters see it that way? He's just been incredible. When you look at, there is no, we talk about Luca's centrality. Shea Gilgis Alexander's right there. It's not necessarily on the same level, but he is, when you look at, like players who are averaging at least 20 minutes a game. Luca's the only player who's getting more of his made buckets without assists. Like there's just Shea. He is the absolute life force around which everything Oklahoma city is built. He drags them to competence or better in his minutes. And he's been super clutch this year. He might be, I saw it was, it was a wild tweet from Brian Kowalski of hoops hype that he's hit like more game winners this season than anyone has hit in a single season over the past decade already. It's like the guy just has it. And I will say like everything about his offense, we've known like the change of cadence, his ability to cause havoc inside the arc, even the passing, the defense has by and large been better this year. There's been some like push and pullback um, here and there, but like he's been a lot harder to screen this season. He's kind of just been more active away from the ball, more locked in on the ball. This is someone who is still on the fringes of the MVP discussion. I ultimately don't think the thunder are going to remain relevant long enough to float him there. And I, I think, People will be uncomfortable giving MVP to a playing guy, which is that's another conversation to have about how we decide MVP. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. That's just a different discussion. So I'm not going to get into it, but he's been one of the and right now. I think I don't like saying these offhandedly, so I'll, I'll hedge a little bit, but like he's been one of the top 10 to 12 guys in the league this oh, yeah. season. And so the fact that he's just a reserve, it almost feels icky, but he was an easy reserve pick for me. Um, and then when you're looking at, there are a lot of options here when you're looking at the Devin Booker spot, like, John Morant, Damian Lillard, De'Aaron Fox, Desmond Bain. Bain, I was able to rule out just because he doesn't have the playing time at this point compared to everybody else. Devin Booker, aside from being just a human bucket, and who now has, this is not like, he's already on a career trajectory where you want him to be better than Melo. He already has more 50-point games than Melo, though. Isn't that just kind of weird to say? Devin Booker's 26. So, but he kept the Suns afloat when CP3 was out, Cam Johnson was out. Um, yes, you got contributions from Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton, and they've gotten like really huge, uh, you know, a, a great impact from like a uh, Josh kogi has been good for them lately. Damian Lee's had some really big moments for the Suns. Cameron Payne's been like a steadying force for them relative to last season. Like Devin Booker is very much, yeah, he went through that slump, and there were points where it looked like he didn't have the same burst. He might have been injured. This dude has been, he's on the fringes of the MVP discussion too. He's maybe inside the top 10 of that right now, just like he was last season. And I don't think, we fully appreciate how important he still is on offense. When you look at the number of double teams, he draws the decision-making he's made out of those. And then just his ability to work in different capacities where we're sitting here like, well, Trey young struggling in Atlanta. And there feels very, my turn, your turn, um, or Luka Doncic, like how you have to build stuff around him. Or the same thing with James Harden, where Devin Booker is so comfortable moving everywhere without the ball, that scalability of stardom, is I think rarer than we credit for someone who is so good on the ball. And he actually wound up being when I started to really think about it, I dug into the numbers. There's a lot of similarities and other ways you go. But when I started to think about it, just philosophically, I felt like he was the right pick and that it wasn't necessarily all that close. Yeah. I think the scalability or other than Curry, I think he's by far the most scalable of all these guys we're going to consider for West backcourt spots. I mean, maybe Luca is, but like we spent some time talking about, we don't really know. Probably not. Right. Um, I think, yeah, five, he's got a pair of 50 point games. He and Embiid are the only guys with multiple 50 spots this year. He's got five 40 point games. He's made at least half his shots in all those games. So it's not like he's just out here, you know, gunning, but, but again, the through line for a lot of these guys, Booker and, and SGA, I think are somewhat similar is like, there's not a ton of help. You mentioned that some of the Suns guys you might not have expected have stepped up, but like Payne and, and Tory Craig are fourth and fifth on the Suns in minutes. Right. So like you've had no Crowder all year. You've had Aiton miss multiple games. A couple times you've had Paul miss multiple games. Um, his lift has been heavy and, and it's not quite the same as SGA and the Thunder because I think people do when, when, when you're playing the Suns, it's like, we got a game tonight. When you're playing the Thunder, you can let SGA most of the time get 40. And like everybody else on that team is like 21 years old and has barely played professional basketball. It's just like it, both of those guys. So those are my two as well. Booker, Booker and SGA. Um, they, they both have had just massive roles 
for slightly different reasons. Like the Suns didn't expect it to go this way. The Thunder kind of did. Um, but yeah, Gilgis Alexander leads the league in clutch points, made free throws. Um, that it's just like, you know, that stuff earned largely Russell Westbrook an MVP one time because he was just winning clutch games for the same Thunder team over and over and over. So if, if we're just talking about all-star and you need to, you know, points to stuff that distinguishes a guy that's like also averaging 30 a game, leads the league in drives, can't be, you can't stay in front of them. SGA's clutch stuff really does matter. So, so those two were, you know, the, again, we'll get to the other West backcourt guys, but uh, just what a ridiculously just deep position. I think both of those guys you could stack up against Donovan Mitchell, like I said, and you would have a long conversation about who, who would start over him if conferences didn't matter. Who were your West frontcourt reserves? This, uh, this was where it was kind of unfun. Um, so uh, the first one is LeBron. Um, and I really did, you know, think more than think beyond it's LeBron. He should be an all-star just because that's how it works. Um, the other is Paul George. I'm open to the minutes counter argument. Um, but I think the Clippers have, a, after some fits and starts, like, they look like about as good as anybody in the East record West record wise. He was the main reason for that when he's been healthy. Um, and the third one's Demonta Sabonis who probably has the easiest statistical case of right. those three. Um, but just, you know, to look at LeBron per 36 and this is the other thing um, he's playing tons of minutes again. Um, but per 36, he's at 26.8 points, 8.5 boards, 6.4 assists. Um, shooting a lot more threes, not really making them, but he's at 50, just under 57% on twos. Um, the defense comes and goes. I think he picks his spots, but like we made this argument for another team, the Lakers dis being disappointing just to me, doesn't have anything to do with James and Davis. It's the fact that three through the rest of the end of that bench is the worst in the league, you know, arguably. So I don't have a problem with now putting a second Laker on the ballot. Um, it just, you know, I get it if you want to look at the team that's probably not going to make the play in and say, how do they possibly get two all-stars? This is just an exception. There's two great players on the Lakers and like LeBron is one of them. So uh, it, it wasn't, you know, I, I'd be curious if you had anybody else over that. Um, Sabonis, I think, is the most important player on the Kings that have been one of the more surprising teams in the league. Um, he's averaging over six assists from the center spot over 11 boards, 17 points, shooting over 60% from the field. Um, defensively. 40% on threes, by the way. Well, wow, just 1.1 attempt per game, but that's. Yeah, that's it's not nothing. Game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think defensively, I still have questions about how he's going to hold up in games that matter, but that's just not a factor here. Um, he's been he's super productive. And so. he's held up better this season as sort of just like a baseline rim protector yeah. than I thought he was going to. I don't understand how that's happening because the number you're right. Uh, you know, his defensive field goal percentage inside six feet is surprisingly good. Just when you watch him just never get off the floor. It's it's, I don't know how it's happening, but um, do you have anybody different or, or have anything to add on those three? I do. So Sabonis was the easiest inclusion for me that he's just sort of the through line that makes everything work for the Kings. And I think he's sort of emboldened even Fox to be better about his decision-making both on and away from the ball and the screens he set still open up a ton of room for everybody. He was the, when I was doing the front court reserves of the West, he was actually my first guy. I was like, all right, well, I know he's in. I went with LeBron for pretty much everything you said. It's not a legacy pick. He's averaging 27 points, six and a half assists per game. And he's shooting almost 57% inside the arc. And like, he's been a lot better lately too, if, if that's going to matter to anyone at all. Um, and then, so the final spot here came down to Larry Markin and Paul George. I went with Larry Markkinen and Paul George has been, I think better than people sort of credit him when he's actually been healthy. He's averaging 23 and a half points, five assists, basically shooting 38% from three Markkinen is sort of just, I mean, he's been one, he's been great. He's at 22.3 points, 2.2 assists, shooting 42.1% from three on six and a half attempts per game, uh, getting to the foul line. I think more than most people realize. And the other thing with him is that, yeah, I mean, the playing time thing here matters. He does have, if you want to go that route, almost 300 minutes more played than Paul George, which, whether you think that matters or not, whatever, the Jazz have been surprising. Marketing is a huge part of that and has been their best player for the most part during that stretch. And he opens up so much because he's still more of an anomaly for what he can do, where it's depending on what spot you're playing him on offense, 
you're not getting that shooting elsewhere. If you've been able to steal minutes with him where he's more of a wing, that's worked too because of what he does when he puts the ball on the floor. And I think I keep going back to the lineups too. So many of them that he just helps unlock and the spacing that provides for all the guards and the ball hand, other primary ball handlers in, in Utah's offense. And I think that matters to me. And also look to this point, if you wanted to, I will not play this card. This did not factor into it, but who has been, who has been the better team? Like yeah. do the and like the, the all-star game is in Utah. And so like, it's, you know, the Clippers are a little bit better, but like the all-star game is in Utah. So he's been more available. Does that factor into what you're doing at all? Um, or does it fact does it matter that the jazz have been shockingly okay? Does it matter that they've pulled back because now that the Clippers haven't even had like pristine availability yet, we've seen more of Kawhi, more of Paul George, and yet they still have the better record. So yes, if you wanted to go with the better record, I understand the, the Paul George pick. And I think in a vacuum, Paul George is the better player. Now, again, if we're fast forwarding a few weeks, but right now I just have a tough time leaving marketing off because I think he's been a huge part of the, like the functional thriving in Utah, not just for what he's done, but the way that it sort of just opens up things for everybody else. Yeah. I think, I mean, marketing has the minutes argument. That's a big one. 300 plus extra minutes, like you said, and, and the jazz don't have the Clippers record, but they do have a positive point differential on the season and the Clippers do not. So like if team success matters and you're going to make, well, the Clippers are 18 and 14 or whatever it is. And the jazz are, I think 16, yeah, 17 and 16 small, but you don't, I don't think, I don't, I think it's at, at worst, it's a wash in terms of team success. It sounds, I think what makes me so uncomfortable is it sounds egregious on its face that I went with marketing over Paul George. And I don't think it's as egregious, even if, I mean, clearly you disagree. So, <laughs> well, I do, but, but marketing was like my most difficult snub. Oh, sorry. He doesn't, if there's two more good guards, I think we both have uh, on, on the West wild cards, but um, they have the, all the points you said, I think the case I would make for George while acknowledging that like, I would have no problem if Markinen made it over him because 300 plus minutes at, at this early juncture, like really matters. Um, George, I think the Clippers sort of other than John wall. And, and because Kawhi has missed so much time, George has been tasked with just so much like point guard stuff that he's had to do. Um, and so while Markinen does open everything up for Utah and really matters and, and enables other guys, George, like whatever there, whatever the notch above enabling is like George, I think is, has done that for the Clippers. Like he actually makes the offense semi-functional, which without him, it just wouldn't be. Um, and, and the defense, we didn't, you know, who cares about defense for an all-star game, but George is still one of the best, most versatile wing defenders in the league. And Markinen is just a different type of player that doesn't bring that kind of impact. Um, but again, like if, if I could have squeezed Markinen onto, uh, but here's the good news. We're going to probably have at least one injury in the West that we're going to get a replacement or two. And I think Markinen's definitely going to make the roster. Um, but, but he was, he, he was my toughest. Everything shifts too. If we assume that Anthony Davis falls out of the discussion, either because of his injury or just doesn't get, uh, I, I imagine he'll still make it, but yeah. so that, that shifts everything up. But that was this, that was the toughest decision for the, uh, West All Stars for me was the mark because it again it sounds egregious, but I think because of the minutes discrepancy here being so large that it's not yeah. unfair to put Mark in there. Who who did you have as your wild cards in the West though? I had Dame Lillard and John Morant, and um, Lillard didn't really factor in as a starting consideration, but Morant at least initially did. Lillard I think has only played twenty games, um, but basically he's been you know this is a guy that was in, he's made I think six All NBA teams and you know, his last healthy season, he was on one and he's basically putting up the exact same numbers as he did in 2021, like 28 points, seven assists, just under four boards with like a 45, 39, 90 split. Like just, you know, if he'd played 25, 28 games, absolutely. He's in, I think we got to discuss him with SGA and Booker, if maybe not Curry and Doncic to this point, because those guys are like legit. Level it's, stuff. it's so tough who are you bumping for dame or jaw at this point yeah and jaw I think people will say well look where the grizzlies are in the standings you definitely need to bump jaw jaw missed some time too been some pullback on his three-point percentage has some weird like free throw excursions this year uh, i trust i think both shea and devin booker have probably been better defensively than him shea has for sure and i would say probably devin booker as well mm -hmm. splitting hairs splitting already thrice split hairs but they're on the all-star team and I, I don't think jaw or dame had a case for us 
start. I mean, I guess if you're deciding to bounce Steph, the case is, oh, Steph can't make it because of his injury, and that's where you start to open up the starting discussions. Yeah, I'm probably going Booker or SGA over Jaw for, for if, if if I got to move Steph out of the starting group, and I'm not sure which way I'd go. But Mer- like low key, Morant has really cool. Like December, his numbers are not good. Uh, his, his shooting splits have gotten kind of ugly, um, and he's only averaging t- only 22 and a half points a game in December. That's it. And, Scrub. Yeah. <laughs> the October stuff, though, still when he was like, "Oh my God, Jaw's going to win MVP." I think you know those games still count. So, who were your toughest snubs for the West? Markinen for sure, and and the only other one I really seriously considered was De'Aaron Fox, but I just there's no room. I just couldn't. I couldn't get there. It was um, my hardest. I wanted to figure out a way to get him on, especially because I tweeted at the beginning of the year that De'Aaron Fox is playing All NBA caliber basketball. There's he been was. he's his shooting has has fallen off since then. So there's that to consider. But who do you put him in over? I think. If we had to replace one of the six guards that we ended up picking, because I had this, I don't know if I said this, I have the same wild cards as you and John Dame. I guess he has the best chance of beating out Dame. Yeah, I think that's fair. And if Dame continues just to play and be available, then he doesn't really have that, that great of a chance. So um, that was a tough snub for me. And I also had Desmond Bain and then Paul George, of course, who I didn't wasn't able to squeeze on. Anybody else? No, that's the thing is like, I mean, you know, there are names like Gobert, Cat uh like wiggins but like, wiggins if he never got hurt might have had a stronger case yeah but i he mean he's here. just missed too much time and and i mean even draymond has had like a quietly a really good season um but i didn't seriously consider anyone other than Markin and, and fox both of whom i think again like have a great chance of actually making it just because of injuries and guys that just don't play um marketing especially like you said it's in utah there's like the stars need to align, I think, and make that. We need, we need to just get them on there. I was trying to will it into existence. <laughs> It'd be funny if they trade away both their all stars right before they had the all star game, and then still had an all star anyway. That would be that actually be kind of cool. <laughs> I would respect it. We didn't talk about James Harden at all. We're I'm just jumping around now since we basically finished, but just didn't play enough. Uh, I think I think he might have had a case, especially because the East was, you know. It, not as guard laden as the West, but I'm just trying to make sure we cover all the bases here. I didn't really have anybody else on either conference that got serious consideration for me. I will say, unless I'm, we were forgetting someone just like profoundly important. The West felt very cut and dry in terms of, okay, these are like the 15 guys or whatever it ended up being for us that you can consider. And there's not really much else. The East was a little bit more open-ended because like you mentioned, I didn't have even have DeJounte Murray or Trey on my initial list of snubs, like until you had mentioned something to me. So yeah. it's just like you could have went a bunch of different directions there. The West felt a little bit more finite in terms of the options. Is there anyone you're this is just a I'm just gonna stump you and throw you an unfair question. Is there anyone that you're really disappointed? Like didn't like if you'd said at the beginning of this season, this guy will get zero all-star consideration, who would it bum you out that that was the answer for? Probably Darius Garland. Like, yeah. I don't think he's been bad, but he missed all that time. And then he's been stop and start a lot for his season. Um, I think you could maybe, I was like pretty hopeful that James Harden would be more part of this discussion. Was it because he was just hurt? I do think mostly that's what it was. Yeah. Um, did anybody else strike that for you? I think Garland would be my pick there. Selfishly. Maybe but like, I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what my hopes were. Maybe Van Fleet a little bit, but I apologize. Who did, who would, who would it be for you? No, I mean, there's a handful like Scotty Barnes was one like I was hope you know kind of hoped he would make a leap but really the number one guy is Mobley because I've gone to bat so many times just so certainly saying that this guy's gonna win more than one DPOY like he's gonna be the best player on if the Cavs are ever great he'll be the reason and he's been very good I, I, I like gave him some passing consideration but um there was really no good argument to put him on there especially if you look at some of the catch-alls and the advanced metrics it's just not favorable for him I think Garland and Allen probably both have better cases if you want a second Cavalier. But I, I thought Mobley was it is a little early. I think I thought maybe the leap was going to happen this year, and it's just been like a mild step forward. I think that's okay, though, just based off oh, yeah. where he started. And also, he's 25th in VORP. That's not yeah. that's not really that low. I thought he was higher in like – maybe it was Raptor like... really hates him um, for, for whatever reason. Wow, and you would think that him being from Canada, that wouldn't really be <laughs> – Okay. Like he's also 10th. I don't cite wind shares anymore, but I just, yeah. because it's in front of me, he's 10th in wind shares. I mean, the Cavs are good. Moby's part of it. There you go. Yeah. There's maybe we're using different ones. EPM and Raptor didn't like him, but I didn't look at wind shares or, or, or uh, what'd you say? Vorp? He really yeah. isn't that high in Vorp. That's impressive. Top 25. He a lot. He's been healthy. That That's helped. Do you want to take us out of here? 
Yeah. Um, like Dan said at the top, thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening, uh, whichever podcast app you're using. Um, if you follow us on YouTube, you see all the information there. Catch up with us on our socials. Join our Discord. Um, that's where we've gotten a lot of great discussion. Everybody that's been active on there and everybody that's joining, we're getting more people all the time. That's awesome. Um, if you've done all those things, if you follow us everywhere, you can follow us. Uh, please just tell a friend, um, if they like the NBA and they want, you know, good coverage of stuff you're not maybe going to hear about on some of the national podcasts and we'll get to your team at some point, you know, every week, probably with a pretty good level of depth. Um, if that's an NBA fan in your life that describes someone, let them know. Um, let your enemies know, let people you hate know, uh, that, that helps too. Uh, anyway, uh, we go out the same way we always do with an apology to Jared Allen, who I think we mentioned, but not seriously as an all-star, but just a general apology. And once again, a shout out to the one and only Frank Nilekina.